All right, um, we're going to um, start a series on fellowship, and Sarah's been telling me a, a little bit about it, which, and it, it's really interesting, the difference between fellowship and community, and there is a big difference. So, um, yeah, oh, Sarah's just getting the liquid refreshments. So, um, yeah, we'll listen to Sarah's sermon for us this morning. Hi, everybody. I might just um, pray. Father God, I thank you so much for drawing us together as a fellowship, as a church, as your body. Lord, I ask that the words that I um, present this morning would not be words, but they would be truth from you, and that you would plant them deep in our hearts. Lord, we desire to be more like you. We desire to grow and to change and to be your image bearers in this world around us. So we ask Holy Spirit that you would um, move amongst us, continue to move amongst us and minister to us this morning. Thank you. Amen. Well, we've had a great party weekend. We celebrated Anya's third birthday. I'm not sure if Graham said that earlier. Um, and we have a great cloud of flies in our house this morning because we had a barbecue and we had the doors open and they all flocked in. Um, but what was interesting was last night, Graham said, now, who's going to bed? And usually the kids squeal and run away because, you know, no one wants to go to bed when you're a kid. And Kizzy was like, me! <laughs> so we knew we had sufficiently worn her out. It was a great parenting moment. I'm sure it won't happen again, but um, we are enjoying the fact that she actually wanted to go to bed last night. <coughs> um, I read about a really interesting job the other day uh, in the paper, online, of course. Japanese man you can rent to do nothing. He's a possible... No, you're not Japanese, you're Chinese, aren't you? I was going to say. A man who makes a living by renting himself out to do nothing has gathered an enormous following online and has thousands of clients. For the equivalent of 125 New Zealand dollars, plus expenses for travel and meals, anyone can rent Shoji Morimoto, 37, from Tokyo. He will do nothing. Except eat, drink, and give a simple response. How easy. We should all sign up. He started after posting a tweet in 2018 that read, I offer myself for rent as a person who does nothing. Is it difficult for you to enter a shop on your own? Do you need someone to keep a place for you? I can't do anything except easy things. Morimitu sees three to four clients a day and has had 3,000 clients since he first launched his services. He has been hired to have lunch, pose for photos on Instagram, accompany someone filing for divorce, listening to healthcare workers struggling with their work. People rent him for various reasons, he says, but most are bored or lonely and simply want to be listened to. Now, as much as I'm amused by this job, and sometimes in the height of having three kids, would love to apply for this kind of job, (laughs) it actually highlights a deep running um, problem we have in our society these days, the pandemic of loneliness. And I'd suggest it's actually a far greater threat to us than COVID-19. Loneliness contributes and can be the cause of so many things that we see around us, mental health issues, depression, uh, addiction, suicide, marriage breakdowns, and that's obviously at one end. But a lot of us would identify with this. Eight years ago when I was in Vancouver, I saw an article in the Vancouver Sun which is one of the bigger papers, which described this loneliness pandemic over there as a bigger problem than the Vancouver 
the Vancouver heroin addicts, which I don't know if any of you have been to Vancouver, but the downtown east side is just full of heroin addicts who just live on the streets. Loneliness is a bigger problem than crime. Loneliness drives people into relationships that they actually shouldn't be into, that aren't good for them. I had one of those once. All it did was leave me hurt and broken. Loneliness is something that I think we can actually all relate to. To be human is to experience loneliness, says one of my friends, Sarah. Now, we all know the FOMO phenomenon. For those of you who don't know the acronym, uh, FOMO, F-O-M-O, means fear of missing out. My mum even uses it. She's so hip. (laughs) It's a symptom, actually, though, um, not not just of missing out, but actually of loneliness and being left out. The party that you weren't invited to. Those work drinks that you found out about afterwards that you wish you'd been invited to. The dinner party or the barbecue that you uh, didn't go, didn't get an invite for. And it's especially hard as a single person. I remember that. Loneliness is this pervasive ache that's so devastating at times. And it does often come and go. Sometimes it feels okay and sometimes it's right there. And I think the most tragic loneliness is for those people who are actually surrounded by people but they still feel so lonely. You just want someone who knows and understands what's going on around you. There's a disconnection there. You just desire to be seen and understood. And it's sad to say, but we all know it's true, the Christian church is not immune to this. Many of us have been in Christian communities where although we're surrounded by like-minded brothers and sisters of Christ... We're worshipping together, we're listening to the gospel, we're singing these awesome songs, we're hearing about this freedom that we have in Christ. We actually feel completely alone. And it's so awful that some people can actually leave church. They don't feel that connection with other people. And organised church is just not for them, they say. One thing leads to another and their faith ebbs away. I've got friends who are part of a big church with me in Auckland, and this was their story. And Ruth Haley Barton uh, says, There is nothing more over-promised and under-delivered in the church today than the word community. There is nothing more over-promised and under-delivered in the church today than community. Can anyone else relate to this? My mother shared a very insightful quote um, with me the other day from uh, one of her old friends. One of the most basic needs of any human being is to be connected, understood, valued, listened to. One of the saddest things is to see people lonely in a crowd. Many churches that have large numbers are full of lonely, isolated individuals. They attend the club meetings, but are not known, nor do they know others. So they are present, but they are not connected. How does this happen? If we hear regularly from the Word, and we have worship songs together, and we're meeting together every Sunday, how do we end up isolated and alone within this crowd? FOMO and missing out pushes on a deep wound in us. Deeper than just missing out, it signals a loneliness that is the result of broken relationships that go right back to the fall. I'm going to come back to this soon. But it's important to realise it's not just a quick fix. It's not just about us doing better programmes, having a better welcoming team, although we've got a lovely welcoming team this morning. Mum and Dad have joined Rose in welcoming people, so thank you. Um, It's not just about having a better time of meeting and greeting and having better refreshments. We actually need a radical shift in our understanding of church and community. Because we crave to be others with others, don't we? We crave community, we crave relationships with one another. 
But quite frankly, we suck at it. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but there you go, I just did. If you look the world over, most problems arise from, six, um, from breakdowns in relationships. Management jobs, I have heard, are mostly about resolving relationships between people and their team. And it's incredibly frustrating for people. And I know Graham left his management job because it was just frustrating, wasn't it? You couldn't get your work done. You're busy helping people sort themselves out. Being in relationship, being in community... Um, being part of something bigger than ourselves is something that we really crave, and not just Christians recognise this. People in the world recognise it. Wealthy, successful people admit on their deathbeds that all of their achievements mean nothing. What does mean something at the end of the day is the relationships they have had or have not had. And it's something that God has placed deep inside us. A God-given longing and desire for us to connect with others. He created us for connection. Otherwise, why would it be so hard to be single? There are so many benefits to being single. Because God has wired us for community and authentic connection with other humans. But although it's wonderful and great, it's actually not the best term. Community is not the best term for what God intends for us as we connect with humans. Why is this? Community is such a buzzword, we use it so often. Why is it not such a great term? Well, community means having a particular characteristic in common. This is according to the dictionary. It's the condition of sharing or having common attitudes and common interests. It's a body of people having common history or common social and economic and political interests. It's a sameness. People are brought together because they are a tribe. Because they identify with the same things. Birds of a feather flock together, that saying. Now, I put up, took up pottery last year. It was very brief because then I had a baby. Um, but now I am a member of the pottery community. I am also part of the freediving community. I'm, I have not been part of that community for a little while. But um, we are together because we have this common interest. We love to hold our breath underwater for a long time. Uh, we want to grow in our knowledge and connection of the particular interests we have in mind. I go to pottery because... I really enjoy the creativity and like-minded people. We have this like-minded common interest. We want to grow in this together. When I had Kezia, I joined a mum's group community. We all had babies of the same age and we were all pulling our hair out of various things at the same time. Um, So community is a great thing. We love communities. But community is always going to have exclusion. If you don't have a baby, you can't join the mum's group. With community, there is always an in and an out. Because by very definition, it's always defined by likeness and sameness. If you don't have that likeness or sameness, you're going to have exclusion. If you aren't interested in holding your breath underwater, I can't understand why, but if you aren't interested in doing that, you can't join the freediving club. If you're not interested in doing pottery, you're not going to want to go along to the pottery meetings. And then we have unofficial communities don't we? We have our friends who are communities where we can actually still feel excluded. Over summer, I really miss going away with other families for a summer holiday. And I actually felt excluded. And no one had deliberately not invited us. And no one had um, said, oh, we're going away, but we're not going to invite you. Uh, but the reality is, I was heavily pregnant. And I was not a happy camper. And most of you will remember that I wasn't a happy camper as a pregnant person. Um, and then we had a baby, and that would have made for many other unhappy campers if we'd gone camping with a newborn baby. 
So um, it was all logical in my head. It was logical why we weren't going camping. It was logical why we weren't having a summer holiday. Um, but I have to recognise as I was looking through the photos, and even just this weekend, I had some friends of mine from Auckland all went on a hike. And I saw these photos, and I just felt this ache of, ah, oh, I missed her. Ah, I was excluded, even though, um, even though the rational understanding uh, meant I could understand it on one level. There was still that human ache of left out, I've left out. And there's nothing worse than feeling excluded, because it does expose our sense of loneliness. That's what makes it painful. It exposes our sense of loneliness. And if we approach church with a community mindset, we will feel excluded. Exclusion will happen whether we intend it to or not at various times. Before I move on to how church fits, um, there's another observation I've made about communities. Communities often demand a certain look, don't they? A community of potters, I've discovered, often wear eclectic clothing and shoes. I don't particularly like orange shoes, but... um, that's fine. A community of surfers often have that surfy look, that kind of long curly hair with um, surfy shorts and um, there's a certain look that goes with being a surfer. A community of musicians I have observed often have to look like a hipster with a beard to play guitar these days. And in the gym, if you are part of the gym community, yeah babe, you don't, you don't fit that. Um, in the gym, you have to wear this active wear, otherwise you're not part of the community it's an unspoken kind of expectation of what you look like, and then if you're an active wear gym bunny, you can also wear active wear anywhere else that's quite inappropriate uh, in the community, but anyway <laughs> won't talk about that <laughs> go to Auckland and you'll find all of that gym bunnies in the cafes um, <laughs> did anyone see that uh, there was a music thing, it wasn't on TikTok, but it was on uh, it was some kind of thing in my active wear, and then, yeah, went around the internet. It was a couple of years ago. It was hilarious. Um, it's kind of like Flight of the Concords, Cords-esque type thing. Anyway, I should find it and should play it next week. Uh, so one of the problems with community comes uh, with community is expectations. It comes with expectations. It comes with expectations of how we look. It comes with expectations, and we often don't realise what our expectations are or what the expectations are of that community until they're not met. I lived in a community house in Vancouver. Has anyone lived in community house? I guess it's kind of like flatting, but it's an organised community house. You have this intentional community. And some of the biggest problems with that community house and other community houses, as I observed, were people had all these ideas as to what that community house was going to look like. They were going to cook together, or they were going to shop together, or they were going to have common prayer together every morning, or they were going to do all these various things. They were going to do life together. And when people's expectations weren't met, that's when disappointments and hurts happened. That's when people fell apart. Expectations can destroy community. Uh, and a few of those houses did get destroyed. Ours didn't, thank goodness. But. And if we see church as a community, we too will have expectations of how things should be in our minds. We will have expectations about how the services should look. We will have expectations about how community should meet together and how other people should interact. We'll have expectations about the type of worship songs and the way they're played. We'll have expectations on the, how the message is, is played, is spoken. We'll have expectations on how the chairs are set up. And we don't usually understand those expectations or know what those expectations are until they're not met. And community actually produces a consumerist attitude when we come to church. And that's a destroyer of churches. 
Bonhoeffer said he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of community. He who loves his dream of community more than Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of community, even if his intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. It's quite challenging, isn't it? Our ideals of community can actually rob us of loving the people we're in community with. Our ideal of church as a community can mean we don't love the people we go to church with. And we actually just become irritated by each other. Irritated by the way things are run and sometimes leave. And I wonder if that's why some people church hop. They are serial church hops. If you look at, at their life, they can go from one church to another every two or three years. A better word for what we're called to do as church is not community, but fellowship. I'm not sure how you feel about that word. It's a bit of an old, stuffy, christian word. For me, it conjures up pictures of um, house groups in the 70s. I haven't been there. I wasn't alive, but I have seen photos. Um, or or um, awkward conversations in an old church hall, you know, 80s decorated church hall with a bland biscuit and a weak cup of tea. That kind of... Right. <laughs> Great, that's a fantastic photo of the church. Actually, I bought Anya's birthday cake because we've got so much of it, so um, hopefully there won't be any bland biscuits. Um, thankfully, they're not making you bland biscuits. I'm putting myself in a hole here, and I should just move on. <laughs> thankfully, that's not what fellowship is really about. As I have read and explored and, and um, dug into this topic of fellowship, I've gotten really excited. This is something that I'm excited about. This is the only way we can really successfully live as the body of Christ. This is the only way we can do church well. This, this is the only way we can function as the body of Christ in the way he intended. And Graham tells me when I get excited, I speak fast, I have to slow down. The only way we can live differently to the rest of the lonely, hurting world around us and the way we can shine the way God has called us to live as a message of hope to those around us. This stuff is what I'm passionate about, and to see here for us at Abide. And I can't do justice to this topic. It was going to be one talk. It's turned into two talks. So this is not a standalone talk. If you don't make it next week, I would recommend that you listen to the um, audio or the recording because next week um, I'm going to share some resources that are helpful and also much more of a practical way of how we actually do this fellowship. Today's more um, theoretical, and possibly it might go into a third week, but probably not. But anyway, this topic is massive. Uh, fellowship is a different posture to that of community. With community, we're together because of commonality and sameness. Fellowship brings people together differently. Fellowship from the word koinonia, or koinonia, however you want to pronounce it. Um, Many of you will have heard of that word before. It means communion, joint participation, sharing, and intimacy. Fellowship is about the other. Fellowship is not about coming together with people who are like you. It's about coming together because you are participating. You are communing with, you are sharing, and you are focused on the other, and it's an outward posture. It's a very different posture to that of community. It's about the other, and it's actually the only way we can do church well. It's the only way we can be missional, too. Fellowship uh, also indicates being bound by something much bigger than yourself and your common interests. It's much bigger than the individual and it um, goes beyond a leisure interest community group where you might go to hang out and, and, and gain from. With fellowship, differences don't matter. 
Now think Fellowship of the Ring, J.R. Tolkien. Um, a bunch of very different people and creatures which are brought together through the, through the mission of destroying the ring. They're not in it really for themselves. They're in it for the greater good. Um, but they're all very different. They don't, wouldn't naturally click. They wouldn't naturally be in a community group together. And think Star Wars. Now I have to admit to you, Graham and I have been working our way through the full Star Wars uh, movies. I think we're up to the third old one. Um, we watch them in half an hour or hour slots because of the kids at night time and I normally have to go to bed at 9 o'clock. But anyway, um, it's been really fun and I've really enjoyed it. Um, but think of the... So you are going to get quite a few Star Wars uh, movie uh, uh, illustrations and sermons coming up in the next few months. So just <laughs> bear with me in there. Um, so if you think about the Jedi, they are all very different. Some of them have big... Uh, blue horny type things. Some of them are little green monsters with big eyes. Some of them look like humans. They're all very different. They come from different planets and sometimes different galaxies. Um, They wouldn't be in a very good community together because they're all very different. But they are together because the Force binds them together. And they are in it because they are to bring peace to the galaxy. That's their common mission. They are part of something far greater than themselves and their leisure interests. Now, metaphors and movie illustrations only, um, they do certainly have their limitations, so I can't, we can't take exactly uh, a carbon copy of that for us as fellowship. But as Christ followers, we are brought together, we are held together in fellowship through the grace and salvation of Jesus Christ, aren't we? Part of something far greater than ourselves, and it's not just a leisure interest. I can think of often many other things that I would like to do on a Sunday morning. But we are together because God has called us together for a common purpose. Now, if you'll turn with me to 1 John, if you have a physical Bible, or if you have it on your phone, that's fine. Um, because I was busy organising a party and trying to write a sermon this week, I didn't actually get to a slideshow or letting the reader know what the reading was. So we're going to read that together. 1 John, and this helps us anchor fellowship. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Sounds very cryptic, but... We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. This passage echoes um, the beginning of Genesis and also the beginning of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Most of you um, have probably heard that passage. And all three of these passages point to something that has existed for a long time, eternity, far longer than we have even existed. And this particular passage points to something that has existed for eternity, being fellowship, the fellowship of the Trinity. A relationship between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A relationship that is perfect and eternal and is a fellowship that is 
just incredible, which has then been made flesh incarnate, which God, which John is pointing to. John has seen and touched Jesus, who is the incarnate, um, God incarnate. And this is what he's writing about here. And it's a fellowship that brings true joy, complete joy. And you know what? It's a fellowship that we are invited to join. This is the first point about fellowship that I want to make today. There's only 2.5 points. The first one is that God has restored relationship between God and mankind. And he has invited us into this perfect fellowship with himself. Um, God has invited us into fellowship in an incredible way. And it's something that... um, it's existed for all eternity, and we are actually invited to join that. I mean, that just blows me away. But we can exclude ourselves. There is invitation for everyone, but we can exclude ourselves. We can choose to accept or not. But if we do accept this invitation, we enter into something far greater than we can ever imagine. We enter into something that has existed for eternity. The fellowship of the Trinity is perfect, and it's the only place where we can feel fully alive fully included, our deepest sense of loneliness met. It's a place where our joy is made complete. You can actually be alone still, physically, as a human, when you're in this fellowship, but you can be fully content. When you're in this fellowship, you can still be single, but not desperately lonely. I had to get to that point in my life. That's another story for another day. You can miss out on an invitation to a party, without feeling that deep sense of hurt because you know you're part of something else that's actually far greater than any other club or invitation that um, you're not going to. As I mentioned before, the fact that God has hardwired us for connection, at the fall this was broken. Not the hardwiring, but the relationship with God. When Adam and Eve ate that apple and chose to believe the snake over the truth of God... We had three consequences. There was brokenness between God and mankind. There was brokenness between mankind and mankind. And then there was brokenness between mankind and creation. There was a severing of these three relationships. And in his goodness, God has made a way for the restoration of these relationships. All three of them. Despite our sinful nature, despite our brokenness through the sacrifice of Christ... In the, fellowship, in the atonement of our sinful nature, we have been invited back into relationship, back into fellowship with God. So he has um, created this space in the Trinity for you, despite the fact that we have sinned and fallen short. And that's what we celebrate at Easter, isn't it? It's actually incredible, but it's one of those things that we don't actually fully understand. It's something that we have to press into God. And as Michael Hewitt said a couple of weeks ago, the mysteries of God become more comprehensible to us as we put aside the temptations of the world and the voices of the world around us and as we spend time in God's truth. So if you don't fully understand that, my prayer for you is that as you spend time with God this week and in the weeks ahead, that he will begin to reveal to you this mystery of being invited back into the fellowship with him and increasing understanding of this massive gift. So don't freak out if you don't understand it. Just press into God and he will reveal that to you in time. And this is something that we all share as the redeemed people of God. We have accepted this invitation into this fellowship, haven't we? This should actually be the only thing that binds us together. This should be the only thing that we hold in common. Not our interests or our likes or dislikes. Not our political views. Not our fashion sense. Not our love or hate of cats. 
not our marital or our family status. All these things are unimportant when it comes to joining the body of Christ. Our differences disappear with fellowship. And that's what Paul writes about. No man, uh, men and women, Jew and Gentile, slave nor free, Greek nor Gentile. We are all invited into this fellowship together, this body of Christ. So that's the first point. God has made possible for us to be invited back into this fellowship, this relationship with him. And this is where it starts because we can't possibly have a successful relationship with one another if we haven't got our relationship with God right. And this leads me to the second point about fellowship. God has made the restoration of relationships between mankind possible. He invites us into fellowship with one another. Now we can actually only become a coherent, functioning body of people through the power of God. If we try and do fancy programs and improve the way we do things, we'll actually only just get frustrated because things won't improve. The only way we can do this is through the power of God. After the fall, for those of you who have read the Old Testament and not been put off, relationships were broken between mankind from day one in such a disastrous way. Just look at Cain and Abel, a family where one sibling killed another. Human relationships were marked with death and destruction from that point. Think of David and Saul, they were almost like father and son. Think of the 12 brothers, what what 11 of them did to Joseph. And do you want to know the root of the problems between men and women and all the inequality issues, all of the sexual abuse, all of the brokenness that exists now between genders and I think gives rise to the gender issues we face today? Brokenness at the fall. This is a deep-seated problem. Humans cannot, on their own steam, create good relationships with one another in the way that is life-giving and in the way that God intends us to relate to one another. And that is why we have this loneliness pandemic, because we're all trying to do it on our own steam. But just as God has invited us into fellowship with himself, restoring relationships between mankind and God, he's also invited us into fellowship together, restoring relationships between each other. How do we do this? How do we be in fellowship together according to God? Okay, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament, so don't switch off. But remember when God issued this invitation... Back in the Old Testament, God in Exodus delivered the people from slavery in Egypt. Moses went up the mountain, Mount Sinai. God gave Moses his word to be delivered to the people. Now these weren't just a random bunch of people. These are the people God had called out and said, you are my people. You are a new people. You are a new nation. You are no longer a bunch of slaves with nothing. You are now my people. God's new fellowship of pe- with people And this people were tasked to take his name to the rest of the known world. The 12 tribes of Israel were not dispersed. They were now one people. The first human fellowship since the fall. God called them his new people and then he gave them the law. He gave them his word. What's the purpose of this law? What's the purpose of God's word to the people here? Before I answer this, it's important to see how Jesus actually echoed this event in the New Testament. In the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, Jesus chooses 12 disciples. That's not a coincidence. Those represent the new 12 tribes of Israel, the new 12 tribes of God. They were called his people. They were invited to join him and to follow him. And then he gave them his word. He gave them the word of God in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, The word of God here echoes the word given to the people at Sinai. So what is the purpose of this word at Sinai and in Jesus' ministry? Does anyone know? 
Yeah. Yeah. But most people think the law is about salvation and how we find God. Most people think the law is about forgiveness and, and how we get back to get that ticket to heaven. But that's actually impossible because God gave it to them after he had saved them. He gave it to them after he delivered them from Israel from uh, Egypt and after Jesus had chosen and called out his disciples and invited them to walk with him. If he'd given it to them beforehand, then it's logical to think that. If the law was about how to find salvation and how to find God, then it wouldn't make sense that God would give it to them after he'd saved them. Tim Keller points out that actually the law is the way we live as the people of God. God says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to give you a new nation. I'm going to make you a new nation. And then I'm going to teach you how to live as this new nation. I'm going to teach you how to be the body of Christ. You are not called just to be saved. You are called to live as a new body of Christ. You are called to be a new people. I am restoring relationships between mankind. God's word to us isn't just about being saved, but it's about becoming part of the new people, the new body of Christ, entering a new way of fellowship with one another. And then he gives us this law on our hearts, doesn't he? He puts it on our hearts in, in hearts of flesh, directing and guiding us how to live as those that people of Christ, his church. And it's only way, only through this way of God, only through his way of living, that he tells us that we can possibly function as the people of God in human relationship with one another. And it's the only way we can be a true fellowship rather than a community. The law gives us instruction on how to live as the body of Christ. And it has changed with Jesus. How do we live out our calling as the people of God? How do we be a witness to the world around us as this body? If we truly lived in fellowship, I think we'd have a lot of people flocking to our doors because we would look so radically different. This is something the church globally needs to work on. Next week, we're going to look at practical ways as to how we become this genuine fellowship. And we're also going to introduce our pastoral care model. It's not rocket science, but we're quite excited about it. We don't want to be that church full of people, but with individuals feeling isolated and alone. We don't care so much about shiny programs, although they're great. We care about authentic relationships in our church. We care about knowing who's sick and who needs a meal. We care about knowing who needs a meal train for their baby. We were so blessed by that. We care about knowing when someone's struggling and just needs a visit and a pray. But there's one final point that I want to make as I conclude. God not only restored relationships between mankind in making it possible for genuine fellowship with one another, he also gives us that power. So he doesn't just give us the law and the instruction and then leave us to it. The Holy Spirit comes and is amongst us and helps us to be that fellowship. He is the commonality. Jesus died to create this fellowship and he left his Holy Spirit with us to bring us together in all our wonderful differences. Pentecost brought a bunch of very different people together with a common language. And the Spirit is what gives us the power to be in fellowship with one another. As I said earlier, I'm going to talk next week on the practical stuff. Um, But we're going to enter into a time of communion now. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we approach the communion table, and especially this time of year, Easter, we're reminded of this wonderful fellowship that we have been invited into and the great cost that was made for us to be invited into that fellowship. 
A fellowship that costs great pain within the Trinity, great suffering, and great sacrifice. But was all made so that you and I can be into this holy, perfect fellowship. Relationship restored between us and God. The only relationship, the only fellowship that will meet our deepest need for connection. The only relationship that will ease our loneliness. If you look for a woman or a man, or to have a child, or another friend, or another church community, or pornography, or drugs, or anything else to ease your loneliness, I'm sorry, but you're actually not going to be satisfied. There are people in marriages that are incredibly lonely because they're not seeking, they're seeking their spouse to meet a need that they cannot meet. Only God can meet that need. And I feel really passionate about that. Only God can tell you. You need it. 